Chapter thirty nine of Regiment of Women. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. Regiment of Women by Clemence Dane. Chapter thirty nine. Elspeth spent her day in that meticulous and unnecessary arrangement and rearrangement of her house and person, with which women, since time was, has delighted to honor man, and which he, the unaccountable, has, as inevitably, failed to notice. The clean cretons had arrived in time and were tied and smoothed into place. The vases new filled, and the fire, though spring cleaning had been, sprawled opulently in a brickless grate. The matches, with the fifty cigarettes Elspeth had bought that forenoon, hesitating and all too reliant upon the board tobacconist, lay, aliens unmistakable, near Roger's probable seat, and the knowledge of the supper laid out in the next room fortified Elspeth as, years ago, a new frock might have done. Alwyn, in every age and stage, dotted the piano and occasional tables, and a photograph that even Alwyn had never seen was placed on the mantel-shelf that Roger, greeting Elspeth, might see it and forget to be shy. But it was Elspeth that was shy when Roger, very punctual, arrived amid the chimes of the evening service. Yet Elspeth had been ready since five. They greeted each other in dumb show and sat a moment, smiling and taking stock, while the clamor swelled, insisted, ebbed, and died away. Roger, still silent, began to fumble at a case he carried, while Elspeth found herself apologetically, and for the thousandth time, wondering to her guest why she had taken root so near a church, while within herself a hard voice cried exultantly, "'He's his father! His father over again! Nothing of Rosemary there!' and she tasted the little strange flash of triumph over the dead woman she had been too gentle to hate. But suddenly her lap was filled with roses, bunch upon tight masculine bunch, and the formal sentences broke up into incoherence as Roger stooped and kissed his second cousin, Elspeth. They soon made friends. Roger, who had never quite forgotten her, found the pleasant-faced spinster as attractive as the pretty lady of his childhood. He examined her as he ate his supper. A spare figure, soft gray hair, and square, capable hands, a kind mouth, not a strong one, set in lines firmer than were natural to it, gentle eyes, no longer beautiful, and a cheerful, tired smile. A sweet face, thought Roger, not a happy one. Yet she had Alwyn. She fluttered a little over the meal and was anxious about his coffee, and full of little inquiries and attentions that were never irritating. There was a faint scent of verbena as she moved about him, and her silk gown did not crackle like younger women's dresses. She listened well, but he guessed her no talker, and later, in the evening, gauged her affection for Alwyn by her breathless fluency. He thought her charming and a little pathetic, and wondered why nobody had ever insisted on marrying her. Elspeth's shyness soon dwindled. She slipped quickly into the informal aunt and nephew attitude that he evidently expected, and found his friendliness and obvious pleasure in her as delightful as it was astonishing. She supposed, 
with a wistful little shrug, that she was near the rose. Nevertheless, she enjoyed herself. They talked in narrowing circles, of his father a little, more of his mother, of Dean and Elsbeth's former visits. He described Compton and the deers, and his gardens and his roses. Then, with a chuckle, an unauthorized attempt of Alwyn at pruning that had ended in disaster, and so plunged into confidences. I expect you've guessed that I intend, that I want to marry Alwyn, with her permission, he added hastily, smiling down at her. Elspeth envied him his inches. For Alwyn's sake she did not intend to be dominated, but she found his mere masculinity a little overpowering, and did not guess that her frail dignity had made its own impression. She smiled back at him. I'm glad you put that in. You should respect gray hairs. But I do. No, you implied that I'm a very blind and foolish guardian. My dear boy, her pretty voice shook a little. I've hoped and prayed for this. You, John's boy, and, and dear Rosemary's, of course, and Alwyn, who's dearer to me than a daughter. Why, that's why I sent her down to Dean. She blushed the rare blush of later middle age. Oh, my dear, it was shameless. I was matchmaking. I was, and I've always considered it so indelicate. But I wish so strongly that you two might come together. When Alwyn wrote of you so often, I hoped. And then your letters made me sure. You had got on so well without me these twenty-five years. And then to feel the ties of kinship so very strongly all of a sudden. It was transparent, Roger. He laughed. I hadn't forgotten, really though it's the vaguest memory. You gave me a rabbit in a green cabbage that opened, and one Sunday we shared prayer books. You had a blue dress, a pale blue that one never sees nowadays, and very pink cheeks. Ah, the crêpe de chine, said Elspeth absently. I always remembered, though I'd forgotten I did. Owen brought it back. She's like you in some ways, you know. She made me awfully curious to see you again. From the way she talked, I knew you'd be decent to me. He smiled. Elsbeth, I'm tremendously in love. Have you told her so? Alwyn's rather difficult to get hold of. She doesn't understand anything but black and white. Claire Hartle, I suppose you've heard of Claire Hartle? Have I not? Claire Hartle says she has an uncanny ear for nuances. Also that she's thick-skinned. The woman's a fool. Oh, she's quite right, Roger, though I expect she was in a temper when she said it. But it only means that Alwyn has been trained to listen to women. She can't follow men yet. She has been advised that they are grown-up children and that her role is to be superior but tactful. He chuckled. Yes, when Alwyn's tactful, she's tactful. You can't mistake it, can you? Have you ever seen her sidling out of a room when she thought she wasn't wanted? Still, she can hold her own on occasion. She simply walked through my hands. But how does she talk of me, Elsbeth, if she does it all, that is? She likes you in the good old Roger fashion. But you do think I have a chance? That's why I wanted to see you. Frankly, at present, I don't think you have. He looked at her coolly, not at all depressed. Why not? Claire Hartle. Ah, he sat down at the table again, 
his chin in his fist. You think her the obstacle? I taught her once. Alwyn has been absorbed in her for two years. Alwyn talks. They both smiled. I could compare. I ought to know her pretty well. Yes, but how can she affect Alwyn and me? Of course, I know what a lot Alwyn thinks of her. She's rather delightful on the subject. Thinks her perfection, and so on. Alwyn is naive, conveys more than she knows or intends sometimes. And she never looks at her God's feet, does she? Claire, and Claire, and Claire. Personally, I imagine her a bit of a brute. I try to be fair. She is fond of Alwyn. Why not? But what's that got to do with Alwyn's caring for me, if I am lucky enough to make her? And I'm conceitedly sure that it's only a question of waking Alwyn up. You don't know Claire. If once she knows, she'll never let the child go. But if Alwyn were engaged to me? She'll never allow it. She'll play on Alwyn's affection for her. But why? I shouldn't interfere with their friendship. My dear Roger, marriage ends friendship automatically. Claire would be shrewd enough to see that, and even, otherwise, she would never share. You don't guess how jealous women are. Roger leaned back in his chair with a gesture of bewilderment. My dearest cousin, the age of sorcery is over. You talk as if Alwyn were under a spell. Practically she is. Of course, Claire would put it on the highest grounds. Unsuitability, a waste of talents. She pretends to despise domesticity. Alwyn would be hypnotized into repeating her arguments as her own opinion. Hypnotism? Oh, not literally. But she really does influence some women, and young girls especially, in the most uncanny way. I've watched it so often. She's not married? She hardly ever speaks to a man. I've seen her at gaieties when she was younger. She was always rather stranded. Men left her alone. Something in her seems to repel them. I think she fully realized it. And she's a proud woman. There's tragedy in it. Does she repel you? Not in that way. I dislike her. I think her dangerous. I'm intensely sorry for her. And I do understand something of the attraction she exercises better than you can, though it has never affected me. You see, eccentricity, abnormality, does not affect women as it does men, and she's brilliantly clever. So is Alwyn. You wouldn't call her abnormal. Alwyn? Never. She's as sound and sweet as an apple. But, and it means a good deal at her age, she's in abnormal hands. Claire Hartle is abnormal spiritually perverse, and she's fastened on the child. They adore each other. It's terribly bad for Alwyn. As it is, it will take her months to shake off Claire's influence, even with you to help her. That is, if you succeed in detaching her. I'm useless, of course. Loving, just loving, is no good. You can only influence if you are strong enough to wound. I merely irritate. I'm weak. But you could do as you like, I believe. Take her away from that selfish woman, Roger. It's blighting her. You think, he said, that she would be content with me, with marriage as a career? Of course, Miss Hartle's right about her talents. Alwyn? I don't think. I know. All her gifts are so much surface show. 
She's a very simple child underneath. Content? Can't you see her, Roger, with children? Her own babies? Roger beamed. It's rather a jolly prospect. Well, I must take my chance. Of course, you must wait. It's too soon yet. Even later, if Claire really wants her, wants her enough to suppress her own perverse impulses, I'm afraid you've little chance. But it's possible that she will not want her as much as that. I don't follow. I mean that Claire, with that impish nature of hers, may hurt Alwyn. I should think she has already, often enough. Yes, but Alwyn has never realized it, never realized that it was deliberate. She is always so sure that it was her fault somehow. If once she found out that Claire was hurting her for, for the fun of it, you know, for the pleasure of watching her suffer, as I'm sure she does, it might end everything. Alwyn hates cruelty. That poor child's death shook her. A little more and she will be disillusioned. But loyal still? Probably. But the glamour would be gone. She would be extremely unhappy. There your chance would come. Though I don't think Claire will give it you. For I believe Alwyn does mean more to her than most things. But she's an unaccountable person. There is the chance. I see. Roger rose and straightened himself. Practically I'm not to depend on my own attractions at all. He laughed a little. I am to watch the whims of this this unpleasant schoolmarm, and be grateful to her for forcing Alwyn to prefer my deep sea to her devil. The situation is hardly dignified. Elspeth laughed, too. Love is always undignified, Roger. What does it matter if you want her? But she watched him anxiously as he walked to the window and stood staring out. There was a silence. At last he turned. Elspeth, dear, it's a beautiful scheme. And a woman could carry it through, I dare say. But it's no good to me. It's too... too torturous, too feminine. I don't mean anything rude. It's merely that I'm not... subtle enough, or patient. At least, I haven't got that cat-and-mouse kind of patience. I can wait, you know. That's different. I can wait all right. But I can't intrigue. Elsbeth flushed. There is no intrigue. It's a question of understanding Alwyn and of using the opportunity when it comes. To trick and surprise and overpersuade her into caring for me? It's no good, Elspeth. It isn't possession I want. It's Alwyn. Can't you see? We should neither of us be happy. She would always distrust me and remember that I'd taken an advantage. I should end by hating her, I believe. Can't you see? Elspeth was shaken by her own thoughts. I see, she said finally, and I see that you don't love her, or you'd take her on any terms. Would you? Yes. Well, I wouldn't, and I do love her, but I want Alwyn on my terms. Do I sound an awful prick? Cousin Elspeth, hear my way. I'm going to have it out with Alwyn. At once? At once, as soon as I see her. No beating about the bush. Roger, she may be utterly out of the mood. Hang moods. I beg your pardon, Elspeth, but I'm going to tell her certain things. If she doesn't like it, I'm going back to Dean. She'll know where to find me when she changes her mind. Elspeth, don't look so hopeless. You don't understand Alwyn.
I don't want to understand her. I want to marry her. I must stick to my own way. Can't you conceive that all this consideration, all this deference to moods and dissection of motives, this horribly feminine atmosphere that she seems to have lived in, of subtleties and reservations and simulations, may be bad for her? It seems to me that she's always being thought about. You, with your anxious affection, that unholy woman with her lancet and probe, you neither of you leave her alone for a second. She's always being touched. Well, I'm going to leave her alone. It gives her a chance. I've never spoiled her. Elspeth was off at a tangent. I'm sure of it. I can remember father holding you up to mother once. He said you were the most judicious woman with children that he knew. Did he? said Elspeth. Mother was awfully annoyed. Roger chuckled. I've been bawling for my fourth doughnut and got it. I've never spoiled Alwyn, repeated Elspeth tonelessly. No one could, remarked Roger with conviction. Elspeth looked up and laughed at him. So you are human, she said. I was beginning to doubt it. When I get on the subject of Alwyn's adorableness, he laughed back at her. We're obviously cousins, aren't we? But, really, I've been trying to be detached and critical and analytical and all the things you feel are important. I wanted to see what you meant, Cousin Elsbeth, and I do see that we both want the same thing. But as to the means, I believe I must go my own way. She eyed him doubtfully, but he looked very big and solid in the little room, comfortingly sure of himself. You think me a frantic old clucking hen, don't you? And are just a little sorry for the duckling. I think you're a perfect dear, said Roger. You'll come tomorrow? Alwyn will be back, I hope. What time is she likely to turn up? About four if she comes. She would lunch with Claire, I expect. He nodded whimsically. Very well. Tomorrow, at four precisely, there will be a row royal. Tomorrow I am calling on Miss Hartall to fetch Alwyn home. Goodbye, Cousin Elsbeth. He turned again in the doorway. Elsbeth, there's a house at Dean I've got my eye on. There's a turret room. My best roses will clamber right into it. That's to be yours. And Elsbeth, nobody but you shall run the nursery. He had shut the door before she could answer, and she heard him laugh as he ran, two at a time, down the shallow steps. She went to the window and watched till his strong figure had disappeared in the dusk. He is very like his father, said Elsbeth wistfully, glancing across at the faded likeness. The dusk deepened and the stars began to twinkle. He will never be the man his father was, cried Elsbeth, suddenly and defiantly. Her hands shook as she cleared away the remnants of the meal. She swept up the hearth, picked the coals carefully apart, and tidied the tidy room. Roger's roses still lay in a heap in the basket chair. She gathered them up and carried them into the tiny bathroom, that they might drink their fill all night. Their scent was strong and sweet. Then she lit her candle and prepared for bed. The sheets were very cold. She tried not to think of Roger's father lying in the grave she had never seen. The old, cruel longing was upon her for the sound of his voice and the sight of his face and the sweetness of his smile. She broke into painful weeping. The hours wore past. 
Of course he would marry Alwyn. Alwyn would be happy. There was comfort in that. Roger would be kind to her. A good boy. A dear boy. And he might have been my son, cried out Elsbeth to the uncaring knight. End of chapter 39 Recorded by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona.